Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Did you guys hear about this? President Biden and Bernie Sanders are in a bit of a feud after Biden tried to distance himself from the far left by saying, I'm not Bernie Sanders. And Bernie snapped back saying, I'm not Joe Biden. <laughs> if things start to get physical, they're going to have to be separated by a light breeze. Usually when guys this old fight, it's over a parking space outside their water aerobics class. Wow. Wow. That, that last, that was getting close to elder abuse right there. I didn't like that. Water aerobics class. Oh, that one made me laugh. Hey, boy. Uh, so I'm looking up at the TV. Apparently North Korea has tested some more cruise missiles. They are a nuclear power. And their missiles are getting better all the time. Anyway, they got a video of Kim Jong-un. Is that the current guy's name? Yes, sir. He's skinny AF. Really? He's keeping the weight off. Is he? What are you, what's your secret? Uh, never mind the missiles. What's your secret? Is it the keto? Is it the Weight Watchers? Is it Nutrisystem? Well, I did keto, and uh, now I do three days of, uh, of uh, aerobic exercise every week and weights twice. And then Saturday's my cheat day. He's looking a lot like um, his, more like his dad and grandpa now, but he's thinner than either one of them. Yeah, I think he's going directly for grandpa because his dad was a bit of a doofus. But if he's uh, like any other human being on Earth, and I assume he is, he's going to balloon back up and exceed his previous weight in a matter of months, right? That's what happens to all of us. Having spent roughly 45% of the North Korean treasury on new clothes. That's right. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. I spent our entire GDP on new clothes, assuming <laughs> I was going to stay skinny. Crap! And our GDP ain't much. God, where's a pop singer I can machine gun? I'm angry. Oh, oh turn dark there. Well, he's evil. Got to keep that in mind while we're joking around. That's a huh? good point. Good point. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, another one. The underside of the Great Resignation. We all know about the Great Resignation, right? Lots of people, more people quitting, I'm guessing, than at any time in the history of capitalism. It's really stunning. The trend toward idleness has been years in the making, says the author of the book Men Without Work. But that's an ill omen for the economy and the culture. In 1961, labor force participation for prime age men was at nine, just about 97%. Okay. All right. That makes sense. You're of age. You're in decent working shape. So, of course, you're working. You would think, yeah, it makes sense that pretty much every man in prime working age is working. You would think that. In the 60s, it was almost everybody, 97%. Since then, the chart looks more or less like a straight line down. By November 2021, the seasonally adjusted rate was 88.2%. Um, so that is, what, 96 to 88, 8 points, which uh, if you if you f- figure the population, that's a freaking lot of people. Almost one in eight men is sitting out during his best years now in America. That may not sound huge, I just said that, but the drop is unprecedented. Would we think it was a crisis if the work rate fell below the Great Depression level? Well, you can check that box. We're already there. Wow. 
Women has started to backslide as well. It isn't as extreme, but we're starting to see that same sort of drift. The work rate for prime-age women peaked in 2000 at 77%. Uh, It's oscillated since then, standing around 75% today. The slowdown has come despite a long-term decline in marriage and childbearing, the factors most commonly thought to keep women out of work. So you had factors keeping it up, and it still went down. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely. I was going to make that point because if a woman has made a conscious decision to prioritize one part of her life over another, specifically family, child rearing, over earning more dollars, well, let's say that's a perfectly reasonable and defensible life choice to make. But if that's been declining while the workforce participation has been declining, that's like a double decline. The sum of these trends is a lot of missing workers. The author of this book estimates that if the U.S. maintained its employment to population ratio from 2000, which is not that long ago, we'd have more than 13 million more workers today. Do you hear that? Every business in America that's got a help wanted sign on the door? Every business in America that everybody's running around like crazy and giving bad customer service because they can't keep up? If we had our, if we had the ratio from 2,000 of people working, we'd have 13 million more workers today. That's a stunning statistic. Right, right. Well, and if it was all based on some sort of national reckoning where we all decided to rejigger our work-life balance and have higher, different priorities in life and blah, 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 well, that'd be probably a good thing. But I feel pretty strongly that it's not. It's got to be uh, the intrusion of government distortions in the labor market, handing out money, that sort of thing. Mr. Eberstadt, the author of this book and quoted in the Wall Street Journal, said America has been overtaken by the European Union. This is not a bad joke. 30 years ago, America's prime work... Prime age work rate was 10 percentage point points higher than Europe's. Now Europe is a couple of points higher than America. Wow. Talk about a switch. The drop reduces household incomes, corporate earnings, and government revenue. The personal consequences of mass worklessness may outweigh the economic ones. Beyond the top-line labor numbers, research reveals the dreary lifestyles of rising numbers of non-working americans by and large non-working men don't do civil society the author states their time spent helping in the home their time spent in worship the whole range of activities they just aren't doing and this is from the bureau of labor statistics that looks into all this sort of stuff what is filling in idle minds idle men's free time There's a lot of staying at home, it seems, and what they report doing is watching. They report being in front of screens 2,000 hours a year, like that's their job, says the author. Hmm. Women again trail men, but not by much. In 2019, childless women without jobs said they spent seven hours a day in, quote, leisure, a category dominated by entertainment. That is amazing. I think it's time for a beloved segment, Joe Gets Philosophical. Michael, can you play the uh, the music? There are ancient sayings that reflect this reality, but it's just clicked in my head. You got work, and then you got idleness. Idleness is not the lack of work. It is its own thing. It is a, uh, it's an entity. You know what I'm saying? It, idleness is a lifestyle. It's not a lack of work. It includes a whole lot of psychological, physical manifestations. That's why, you know, the idle hands are the devil's uh, playthings. Why, that's an ancient saying. If you're not occupied with something productive and positive, you will be occupied with something unproductive and negative. That's the way humans are. 
I, uh, you know, I only know my own brain, so I don't know what it feels like for other people. But I remember pre-kids. I'm, I'm never idle anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, pre-kids, um, if I ever came out of a weekend where I didn't actually do anything, I felt horrible. I mean, I just, it just like it was just a bad feeling. If I sat around and watched a bunch of football games and then maybe ate something or whatever and didn't really do anything, just the way I felt was awful. Now, maybe some of you can do that endlessly and enjoy it. I, I just I never could. And the research is suggesting with your um, um, uh, deaths of despair and everything else that's going on that most people aren't equipped to do that either. Right. Well, I wonder whether some of the things that people do, I mean, I'm thinking of video gaming, not to beat up on that because it's fun and and really interesting and challenging, but I wonder if it's close enough to actually doing something that it feels like you're you're getting after it. You got the adrenaline flowing, you're really involved, you're mentally focused, the rest of it, but it's empty calories. It's those those uh, online e empty calories. And, and, you know, you just it's not satisfying in the way it is to actually build something and do something. I don't know. I'm guessing. So between 2008 and 2016, you could make the argument, well, hey, look, there isn't any work out there. But by 2019, that was obviously not a problem. Before the pandemic, we'd passed this remarkable threshold where there were more unfilled jobs in America than there were people out of work looking for jobs. And that's even truer today with almost two open jobs for every unemployed man and woman in America. Lack of opportunity isn't the main reason folks are sitting out. In contrast, the increasing size and availability of government benefits have clearly helped keep people off the job. I'm glad they brought this up. Of course, they would in the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. The various combinations of disability programs has had a lot of really tragic long-term consequences, says this author. The share of working-age Americans claiming Social Security disability insurance has doubled in the past half century, from 2% in 1977 to 4% last year. The federal government spends more on disability insurance each year than on food stamps and welfare put together, and few recipients work. Wow. I have known so many people that I'm I'm on disability. And I think, what are you on disability for? You're where you're you're riding dirt bikes or at the golf course or whatever you are. Hmm. You're on disability. Okay. Yeah. I I always hesitate to judge people like that, and I think we all hesitate because you don't know what's going on and you don't want to be insensitive if there's something serious going on. But yeah, I think we've all met a lot of people like that. And at least a chunk of them seem to have certain characteristics in common. That's all I'm going to say, but it all seems a little odd. Yeah. Uh, and then one more thing I want to jam in when we come back, because I want to give this uh, plenty of time to discuss it, and that is the widespread contempt for ordinary jobs Ooh. that this guy thinks plays a role in uh, in people not taking jobs. Calling micro, calling micro. Yeah, this, it's really interesting. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. People have been living to work for a very long time, and I think the pandemic brought that moment of reflection for everyone. Hmm. What do I want to do? What makes my heart sing? And people are thinking, if not now, then when? Yeah. What about my singing heart? 
That's from 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that a lot, and that was the idea that everybody's quitting their jobs because they need to find something that makes their heart sing, which defies the history of homo sapiens. You found something that put food on the table and allowed you to support yourself. Your heart singing was a great bonus if you could pull it off, but that's not the main thing. Well, and you can be making a lot of money in the job you've always dreamed of having, and there are plenty of days your heart ain't singing. I mean, you want to talk about an unrealistic expectation. I mean, I hope my kids are able to go into careers that make their heart sing and they make a living, but I think that's the least likely case. I mean, it's just, just not very many people get to do that. And if that's your bar of what's acceptable, oh my God. It's going to be tough, I think. So I've been quoting from this Wall Street Journal article and this guy named Eberstadt who's read, uh, written a book called Men Without Work. And it's about how many idle men of working age we have in America now compared to not that many decades ago. And there, a lot of them are sitting around watching TV during the prime working years of your life, staring at a screen. Part of it is because we have enough gov- government programs that allows you to do that. But, uh, and, and if you missed the conversation about it, you know, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. But I wanted to finish with this part because I thought this was a good point. Um, he doesn't propose any sweeping fix for the wave of worklessness in America, but he notes that widespread contempt for many ordinary jobs may be making the problem worse. I guarantee you it is. Journalists and economists who cheer on the great resignation often stigmatize work in the same breath. Yep. Like that woman just did on 60 Minutes. Writing off low-paid jobs is not worth taking. It's astonishingly condescending to say that some work is meaningless, says the author of the book, and it shows an astonishing ignorance of how other people live. It's wonderful that millions of people are finding better work, but there are millions more who could fill the jobs they're vacating, and disdain for low-skill work helps keep those people away. Instead of stigmatizing low-skill jobs, we would do better to stigmatize idleness, especially among men. Don't make fun of people or mock people who have a, you know, a job that you might not want. Mock and have disdain for idleness. You're in the prime of your life and you're not working. That's mockable. Well, given human history, it's pretty crazy that we're having to even urge people to do that. Mocking idleness has been a constant since, you know, we emerged out of the ooze. Not long ago, the author said the idea that one in eight men should be neither working nor looking for work would have been an absolutely horrifying prospect. Re-embracing that, re-embracing that perspective could do a lot of good for the economy as well for idle Americans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't have any, and I don't anyway, because I've worked a lot of jobs I didn't enjoy, but you know what? They they were necessary to make my rent and my car payment and to eat, and my life was fine outside of work anyway. Um, but rather than, you know, you don't want to, I don't know, you know, I hate to even use any examples, but wait tables, be a janitor, whatever. No, that's fantastic. There's somebody that's supporting themselves and doing what you got to do. How about the guy who doesn't freaking work at all? Yeah, boy, I'd I'd love to do a detailed uh, dive into how we got to this point societally. It reminds me of um, you know, like the super rich, like your great Gatsby types. Just just can't even understand people who have to work with their back or get their hands dirty. What mu- what must that be like? How do we get to be that way as a society? Well, I can certainly understand with our culture the way it has been for the last however many years that if you're like a 25 year old, you'd be more embarrassed. To have an uncool job than to be living with your parents. 
Hmm. Don't you think that, that I blame that would, Instagram? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say that that's a, the common zeitgeist? I, I think you're right. You'd be yeah. more embarrassed as you go out to eat with your friends and you're hanging around a big table at the restaurant or whatever. Uh, you'd you'd be more comfortable saying, "Yeah, I live with my parents. I'm looking for work." You'd be way more, which nobody said as a 28 year old when I was 28. Freaking nobody. But um, you'd be much more comfortable saying, "Yeah, I'm looking for the right job. I got a couple of you know irons in the fire, and you haven't worked in a year." Um, than to say, "I got a job. Uh, I don't know, picking up the trash cans at Home Depot." guaranteed right. you'd rather say you live with your parents. That's it, just a change in philosophy. Is this where we segue into the discussion of the fact that we have imported a brown underclass to do a lot of those oh, jobs no from foreign kidding. lands? No kidding. It, 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 let's let's suspend all of our own laws and offer uh, generous benefits to anybody around the world who sneaks in because, well, we need brown people to do the hard work. I mean, what a crazy attitude. Well, yeah, and we were ahead of the curve on that way back in the day saying this whole jobs Americans won't do, that phrase should never be uttered. What the hell does that even mean? But it became yeah. accepted. Yeah, is there any turning it around? I don't know. A culture that... Uh, looks down on idleness more than, you know, low wage jobs. I don't. I don't know if there's any turning that around. It's it's called decadence. We're decadent. Yep. It is decadence. Just uh, Duthwaite from Ross Duthwaite from uh, New York Times wrote a book called that. It's about that sort of thing. Anyway, if you miss an hour of the podcast, you can grab it at armstrongandgetty.com and join in the conversation through text or email later if you want to. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Do you think it places a political liability ahead of the midterm? It's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. The president caught on a hot mic yesterday calling uh, the Fox reporter a dumb son of a bitch. The great Peter Ducey. Peter Ducey then quickly was on Fox right afterwards talking to Jesse Waters. I think the president's right. You are a stupid (laughs) (laughs) SMP. Yeah, nobody has fact checked him yet. Fact check. You are a dumb SOB. But uh, so the president of the United States actually called Peter Ducey on his own cell phone. Later, and apologize, and Peter Ducey said no need to apologize, and they both moved on, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, he can take it. I appreciate him saying I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, the president being a grumpy-ass old man, I think, is is a bit of a story, perhaps. And the other angle, and then we'll move on, is that uh, when Trump was even slightly unpleasant to a reporterette, uh, back during his day, the whole of the Washington press corps went crazy because you should never ever try to, try to treat the the free press like that. And they you don't dumb seem to bastards. Have, they don't seem to have noticed this one. Oh well, that's a shock. If you're wanting to go to the NFC Championship game, it's pricey. That would be the San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams. And a couple of things that happened in the last 24 hours. So initially, who, who even said this? Initially, they're going to try to keep 49ers fans out of the stadium because there were more 49ers fans at the Rams game at the end of the season. And they're trying to avoid, you know, having to play a road game at home. But there's nothing you can do to stop that. So Ticketmaster announced, yeah, you will sell tickets to anybody. So 
There might be more 49ers fans than Rams fans there at the game. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's a playoff game because sure. the game was meaningless for the Rams, sure. that final uh, regular season game, and it was uh, life or death for Niners. And what are L.A. fans famous for more than anything? You show up when you like get to the championships and all that sort of stuff. That's when you come out and put on your jerseys and act like you've been a fan forever. That's L.A.'s famous for that. Sure. Sure. Whether it's Dodgers, Lakers, or whatever. But anyway, it's the NFC Championship game. The average ticket price on Ticketmaster, 588 That's expensive. Wolf. Yeah, that's uh, a double what the AFC Championship game is looking at right now. Um, and there was one other thing. Oh, so we uh, got a text from somebody, and I'm in this situation with something else myself. We got a text from somebody who said, I got tickets. I'm all excited. Then I found out you have to show your vaccination card to get in. Oh, I'm not getting vaxxed. So L.A. Does, County. So does anybody want my tickets? I'm in the same situation. I got tickets yesterday to go to the uh, the bull riding, the pro bull riding, the highest level bull riding. And uh, I got tickets for that to take my kids. I thought that'd be super fun. And then I saw you got to have vax. Anybody over the age of two has to show a vaccination card. Wait, I got what? one, but my kids aren't vaccinated. And I'm not, I couldn't get them vaccinated in this amount of time if I wanted to. And I'm not sure I'm going to get them vaccinated. Um, so I guess we're not going. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a drag. Isn't it? Over it really the age is. of two. It is a drag. It is a drag. God, the kids are going to be fine. Right. Oh, right. So we're out and about all over the freaking place all the time with something that can't be contained by the masks you're wearing, Omicron. And they're at school and we're at restaurants and we're at the skateboard park and we're at the trampoline place and we're all these different places. We can't go to the uh, the bull riding because you don't have a vaccine. We're ignoring the science. Whatever. Yeah, I know. Oh, speaking of ignoring the science... The quack and charlatan Dr. Phil actually had a semi-interesting uh, episode the other day where he had uh, transgender activist types on with uh, Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire, who uh, is for, to my mind, more reasonable uh, mm, attitudes about the whole transgender issue. Their exchange, I think you will find very interesting. We'll get to that in a moment or two. Speaking of exchanges... Perhaps you heard during the handings out of trillions of dollars that were allegedly COVID relief, hundreds of thousands of criminals made hundreds of millions of dollars ripping off the government. Thankfully, some are getting busted now. There are some visuals to this story, which I'll fill in afterward, but it is striking. This is a report from Kelly O'Grady, clip number 70, Michael, 7-0. Well, nearly $100 billion of the $2 trillion CARES Act relief was doled out to fraudsters. Criminals riffed off American taxpayers to fund everything from Lamborghinis and Rolexes to, as you said, strippers. Now, we dug into the filing, so I want to share a few of the wildest examples. The largest sum stolen was over $35 million. Recording artist Diamond Blue Smith pled guilty to participating in a scheme to file at least 79 fraudulent PPP applications. Smith used the loan proceeds to make luxury purchases, including a Ferrari for 90 In addition to the car, he personally obtained over a million in PPP. One group was awarded two million in unemployment benefits by stealing the information of third-party victims. They proceeded to post audacious photos of themselves on social media, holding and fanning out the large sums of cash, which of course helped authorities discover them. (laughs) What is it you say about criminals? That uh... the fact that you are considering a life in crime proves you're too dumb to pull off a life in crime. I'm not a thief, and I'm not going to ever do that. You're stealing taxpayer money. It's all kinds of wrong. But if you're going to do that, how about you 
you, you sit on it a while. Instead of buy the new Lamborghini and the Rolex and post pictures on social media with your fanned out Benjamins. This guy, the 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 recording artist she referred to. <laughs> And look, if I buy some paints and then paint some crap on a canvas, that doesn't make me a painter, by the way. If you own, for instance, any Apple product, you have GarageBand in it automatically. So you could be a recording artist. Sure. Anyway, this guy, the picture of him, he was wearing gold chains. that uh, You've never seen gold chains like this. It looks like his granny knitted him a scarf out of gold. (laughs) I mean, it was the thickest gold I've ever seen, and he's there flashing cash in front of his new Ferrari wearing a half a million dollars worth of gold around his neck, and he posts this stuff online. But wait, there's more. 71. And it wasn't just ordinary individuals and celebrities stealing money. Government officials also snagged some of the COVID relief illegally. Jason Larry, the first ever mayor of Stonecrest, Georgia, allegedly used some of the city's 6.2 million aid to pay off taxes and the mortgage on his lakefront home. Wow. In one instance, Larry presented 150,000 in relief to Church One on the condition that 50,000 be given to real estate management consultants LLC. He did not reveal he controlled the entity. <laughs> That is so weak. I want, that's is, is super guilty. You're super guilty because you're an elected official. Yeah. You're super yeah. guilty. Got to bring the hammer down. But at the point that the government is is like, it, it's like a, a, a some sort of wacky Japanese game show where they got a hose that's spraying cash from coast to coast. You know, you can't commit crimes to grab that cash, but I sure as hell understand why $100 billion worth of crooks decided to go ahead and try. There are so few limitations. And how many of them that quietly, you know, hid the cash, put it in the bank, or just uh, put it under their bed or whatever, and didn't post pictures of themselves coated in gold in front of Ferraris online? What percentage of them are going to get away with it? I I don't know. That's a good question, because I was actually thinking during that. So one guy got 30-some million dollars? Ah, dude. Yeah, I think that's what they said, yeah. yeah. That just seems extraordinary. But so I was thinking during that, you idiot, you bought a Lamborghini and posted pictures. Then I thought, well, they're going to they're gonna go back through all of these payouts and they're going to figure out eventually. So maybe, the, maybe if I sit on it, I missed out on having the wild good time and all I end up is in jail and giving <laughs> the money back. <laughs> go ahead and buy the heavy gauge gold rope. Around your neck and <laughs> I wouldn't and, I would, and have would a Ferrari get, for three would, months. Would you get any enjoyment like if somebody handed you right now a fifty thousand dollar gold chain to put around your neck? Would you get any enjoyment out of wearing that today? I wouldn't. <laughs> well, me none. No. <laughs> I would get no pleasure out of that. Doughy suburban white guys like myself rarely rock those. I guess just jewelry in general. I'm not a jewelry guy. A Two million dollar car. I could drive around and think this is really awesome. Yeah, I suppose, although I'd be terrified. The strippers seems like a terrible idea, obviously, for obvious I love, reasons. I love how they throw in strippers, you know, into the news report, as if that's extra. Oh, now, if he'd stolen money and, I don't know, bought a bought a really good TV, that'd be okay. But a stripper? Good Lord. <laughs> What's that for? Is everything clickbait now? Everything? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Oh, boy. Speaking of which, transgender activists asked very basic questions. The premise being, if everybody's a woman, then nobody's a woman. What does woman even mean? And they struggle to answer. I'll tell you what it means. Well, I know you can. They can't. Oddly enough, that's next. 
Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, maybe hour four, we got to get to this graduation rate story for high schoolers across America. Tragic. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. You know, usually before we talk about uh, issues like the transgender thing or whatever we issue, we issue the usual decla- disclaimers about nobody should be hurt or discriminated against or hated or anything for, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute or two because uh, this episode of Dr. Phil's show in which uh, Daily Wire uh, writer Matt Walsh and and he's more than a writer, he's an online guy, and the rest of it uh, is discussing uh, gender identity and transgenderism, that sort of thing, with a couple of people who are non-binary, and I think it's pretty interesting that Out Magazine criticized it, but what Out Magazine said and did not say, I think is really, really, and did not say, is really notable. But anyway, we'll, we'll play you some of the exchange first, and, and uh, you can take it in, we'll comment, uh, start with 61, Michael. Well, this is one of the problems with this left-wing gender ideology, is that no one who espouses it can even tell you what these words mean. Like, what is a woman? Well, can you tell me what a woman is? No, I can't. Because but, it's not for me to say. I, womanhood looks different for everybody. What do, you, what do you define a woman as? An adult human female. And what does a female mean? Uh, well, well, that's how, do you, how do you define a female? Someone with, with female reproductive organs. Okay. Someone who's, you know, here's the thing. When you're, when you're female, it goes right down to your bones, your DNA. So that's why if someone dies, okay. we could dig up their bones 100 years from now. We have no idea what they believed in their head, but we can tell what sex they were okay. because it's, in, it's, down in, it's, it's ingrained in every fiber of their being. That's it's interesting. I've never, I've never heard when they discover a skeleton somewhere in the world them saying of indeterminate gender. I've never no. heard that. They say they found a, you know, the bones of a 4,000-year-old woman who was buried under Jerusalem. Or that's, they always name the gender. That's fascinating. Right. Yeah. And it's down to our DNA. It's one of the basics of existence. Uh, Go ahead, 61, Michael. You stood up here and said trans women are women. Yes. Tell me what you mean. What is a woman? Womanhood is something that, just as Ethan explained, I cannot define because I am not myself. You used the word. So what did you mean when you said trans women are women if you don't know what it means? Right. So here's the thing. So I do not define what a woman is because I do not identify as a woman. Womanhood is something that is an umbrella term. It includes people that who... That describes what? People who identify as a woman. I- identify as what? As a woman. What is that? What's to each their own. Okay. Each woman, each man, each person is going to have a different relation with their own gender identity and define it differently. And so I'm trans women are women too. Okay. In the audience of people, they love that. Oh, that made me feel good to hear that. Yeah, women, how do you like that? The only thing you are is what you say you are. There's nothing about being a woman that's real except that you say it. There's nothing in your DNA, nothing in your bones, nothing in your neuropsychology, nothing in your organs, nothing in your emotions. There is nothing about being a woman that is concrete. So where we are right now is... You do have immutable attitudes and personality traits because of your skin color. 
Yes. But you don't because of gender. Correct. <laughs> That's interesting. We've you completely flipped those two. That's Progress. fascinating. Uh, I believe we're on 62, Michael. Well, listen, you listen. Tell me you what want the to word reduce, means, though. So you want to reduce problem. women. You want to reduce men down to maybe just their genetics, our genitals, no. our chromosomes. Right? That's what you're what saying. You want to do is that's a, what, what, you, what you want to do is appropriate women. You want to appropriate womanhood, okay. and turn it into basically a costume that can be worn. Uh, I thought we were on sixty-two, or had we played that already, Mike? We just played that one. Oh, we did. Okay. Wow. Somehow I lost. Oh, now I see what I did. Okay. My mistake. Uh, yeah. So I think Matt Walsh made the, the case pretty well that if you can't even define what a woman is, we got a problem here. Well, am I wrong or is this, it sounds like it's a, uh, you know, a debate between two sides, which it is, but aren't the two sides backed by like 90% of America and maybe Five percent of America? I, I think you're right. Yeah, it's like the term Latinx, which I just saw pop up in uh, one of those NFL ads, by the way, that we were talking about. Almost nobody uses it except the uh, intelligentsia, the ivory tower types who claim to know what is good and right for for all of us. And I was reminded very much in that exchange, as was uh, Hanson, our executive producer, of the Ibram X. Kendi thing, where he was asked, you keep talking about racism, what is it? Clip 64. So racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> Sure, a, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. You don't get to define a word. By using the word over and over again. What is blue? It's things that are blue. That's what blue is. Blue is uh, the quality of blueness to me. Uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, so, um, and and keeping in mind mind with Ibram Kendi, it's not one of those uh, videos that uh, are highly amusing and I enjoy, but are probably semi-unfair, where you confront some 21-year-old college student and ask them to explain these uh, views they're espousing. It's not unfair. It's just they're an easy mark, okay? They're spouting off to make friends and get influence on campus. They got no freaking idea what they're talking about, which is why I don't care what youngsters think about politics. But... Um, you're asking Ibram Kendi, the leading intellectual light of the anti-racism movement, what's racism? And he says, well, racism is racism and racist policies that yield racist results. And then you ask these transgender types, what's a woman? And they say, whatever I say it is. Okay, that's as loopy as it sounds. Hang with your beliefs, folks. You're in the right. So who pushed the leap from accepting... Um. Gender dysphoria is what is that the right term? Yeah, that's a term. Sure. Um, who made the leap from that? Which I'm fine. I'm I'm on board with that. I've read some about it. Makes sense to me. Your brain is wired that you're a, you're a woman, but you're in a man's body. I'm okay. But but who made the leap from that to there's no such thing as gender and all that sort of stuff? That's the uh, that's the uh, critical theory people. 
that they one of the things that at the at heart of that philosophy, which comes out of France and the blah, 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 blah. Anyway, is that there are no divisions. There are no like uh, demarcations. There's no A, B. Everything is murky. Everything's wishy-washy. It's a it's a philosophical school of thought that doesn't make a lot of sense to anybody with any common sense. But for some reason, it's spread like an infection across the college campuses. And now people are in love with this notion that any dividing line is false. Well, how many how many trans people are are happy with this? So I've felt like I'm a woman my whole life, like Bruce Jenner is. You know, felt like it was a woman his entire life, and then finally, you know, okay, I'm a woman. I'm going to be a woman. And then for somebody to come along and say there's no such thing as woman or man. No, no, no. Wait a second. I I felt like a woman my whole life. I knew I was a woman. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. And now you're telling me there's no such thing as that. That that can't make a a, a good chunk of trans people happy. Well, right, right. Yeah, I would agree. And then and you have traditional feminists like J.K. Rowling saying, well, wait a minute. If there's, if there's nothing special about me because I'm a biological woman and a dude can call himself the same as me, well, there can be no feminism then. What, what are women's rights if anybody can be a woman? What, what are we talking about? And for that, she was hated. Out Magazine had an article talking about Matt Walsh's appearance in which they addressed zero of his arguments and just talked about transgender people getting beaten up, yeah. which is horrible. Don't hurt anybody for any reason. If you miss an hour, get it on the podcast, Armstrong and Getty.com. Armstrong and Getty.